You come in, we give you the space, we give you the services, we give you the community, and we do everything we can to make you more successful. Are you, are you actually turning a profit? In we the are business? definitely turning a profit. So WeWork just unveiling its IPO filing literally moments ago. This one uh, we've all been waiting for. Finally, with a placeholder of a billion dollars, uh, the actual offering size for WeWork is likely to be much, much larger. WeWork has officially come out and made a statement now saying that Adam Newman uh, is stepping down as CEO. Another big step for WeWork in the post-Adam Newman era, the co-working company agreeing to go public through a SPAC merger. Good morning. It's Monday. This is Deconstruct, a podcast by The Real Deal. As always, I'm Isabella Farr. And I'm Susanna Cavanaugh. So this episode is jam-packed with TRD reporters. We're talking a little later with Keith Larson, who is a senior reporter based in New York. And we're chatting about the financial health of WeWork. Mm -hmm. But first, let's get into the top news of last week. Right. So we'll have to start with the passing of Robert Toll. He was 81. He had battled Parkinson's for quite a while. Toll founded Toll Brothers, one of the largest housing builders in the U.S., and the firm's focus was particular. They had built a bunch of houses in the suburbs, but in Manhattan and Brooklyn, they'd sort of pivoted to develop high-end condos because that worked for that market. Yeah, I know they're focused on so many markets now, but after the financial and housing crisis in 2008, Robert really directed the firm to start buying up land to take advantage of low prices. He was also the spokesperson for the housing market at the time. All of these news organizations, CNN, Fox, they all took every chance to interview him and really ask, like, when will we see a recovery? To follow up on our conversation with Daryl Fairweather last week, Realtor.com has come out with new numbers that shed light on what is happening with the rental market. The punchline is rents are officially beginning to cool across the country. Yeah, so nationally, rents are still up about 8% compared to last year, but that is the slowest rate we've seen in more than a year. It's finally that growth is in the single digits, which for a long time, they were in the double digits. Mm -hmm. I think a number that has really struck me is that median rents are actually up 25% since this time in 2019, which is just extraordinary growth. Right. Yeah, so it's it's all in context, right? So we're getting to a little bit of a better point, but things are still not affordable compared to where they were. Mm -hmm. In the Sun Belt, you know, it's all this incredible investment during the pandemic. And that's where we're actually seeing rents drop ever so slightly. In Las Vegas, rents are down 0.2%. And that was a city where rents had risen 25% from April 2021 to April this year. In New York, we mentioned this last week, but rents have dropped for two months in a row. Slight drops, and that's important. So rents for luxury properties, those are still ticking higher. They're notching new records. And what this implies is that inflation may be hitting lower and middle income renters. Jonathan Miller produced this data for Douglas Elliman. And what he says is that because the median rent is slipping ever so slightly, it's showing that renters cannot pay the premiums. They're basically maxed out at you know, what the market price is right now. They can't go any higher. But because luxury prices are still going up, they're breaking records, that shows that inflation is not hitting that group. You know, they're able to spend money on a better apartment and mm -hmm. they're doing fine. Yeah. So the national numbers definitely reflected what Daryl at Redfin was saying last week. But whether this slowdown is actually enough to cool inflation is another thing. 
and it doesn't seem like it is. No. Yeah. So on Thursday, we got the newest consumer price index report, which showed that inflation rose by 0.4% in September from August. And that is not what we wanted. The Fed has been incredibly aggressive with raising rates to avoid any sort of uptick in inflation. So more hikes are probably in the cards. And as you said earlier, you know, if inflation continues to rise, it's going to continue to be harder for those low and to middle income tenants, right? Food, energy prices, they're all going up and rent still might be rising where they live. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for housing, for sales, economists are predicting a very weird fourth quarter. So at the moment, we are both at the National Association for Real Estate Editors mm-hmm. annual conference in Atlanta. And we heard a few economists on a panel yesterday talk about how home sales will slow through the end of the year and availability will continue to drop. Lawrence Young, he's the head economist for the National Association of Realtors. He said that the third and fourth quarter home sales will be, quote, ugly. Home sales could be down 15% by the end of 2022. Yeah, everyone was pretty eagerly waiting for that panel because I think everyone wants an answer, you know, what is happening with the housing market. But everyone was also asking, will it be like 2008? Jan and his co-panelists basically said, no, it won't be. And the difference really hinges on supply. Leading up to the housing market crash in 2008, there was all this unsold product on the market. But supply right now is so, so, so low. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, while you mentioned Nari, it might be a good time to share that Deconstruct actually won two journalism awards last night. Yes. I'm indulging in a little bit of self-promotion, but Susanna, you won an honorable mention for best audio report for an episode last year about the collapse in Surfside. And I won a bronze award in the same category for a segment on the attraction of the Hudson Valley. Yeah, that was awesome. It was the first time for me accepting an award for journalism in person because of the pandemic. So that was very cool. Also, I want to give a shout out to Catherine Kalergis because she was incredibly um, important to crafting that episode. And she took home a handful of awards for her work in South Florida and covering the Surfside collapse. So turning back to the news, let's get into the biggest deals of last week. We got a huge scoop out of New York. Stefan Solaviv is finalizing a deal to sell one of the most prominent office buildings in the city. And it will likely be the largest office trade, one of the largest office trades, at least in history. In 2016, the building was appraised at $3.4 billion, or more than $2,000 a square foot. Solaviv is the heir to Sheldon Solo's real estate empire and is apparently moving to sell off the portfolio. That's what a source told TRD reporter Rich Bachman, who had the scoop. Solaviv is apparently now more focused on running his cattle and wheat business in New Mexico and has been buying up vineyards in Long Island. So it's an interesting <laughs> pivot. So the deal is getting finalized as New York City's office market just continues to struggle. A recent Collier's report showed that leasing activity in Brooklyn had dropped more than 30% in the third quarter compared to the second And actually, Brooklyn added about 473,000 additional square feet of empty space in the third quarter, with companies terminating deals and subleasing space. Yeah, we're seeing the same thing in LA, where more than a quarter of office space was available in the third quarter, which, according to the Savills report, I wrote this up last week, 
the report actually said that there's never been this much office space available in the city ever. So before the pandemic, that number was about 18%. This podcast is sponsored by Dotted, the all-in-one asset optimization platform that's empowered companies like Dogwood to grow their portfolio by 2.5x in just 18 months. See how Dotted can align your team and accelerate data-driven portfolio growth in leasing and beyond by going to dotted.com, D-O-T-T-I-D.com. Jumping to our main event, Keith Larson is here to talk about WeWork, a company that it seems like everyone's favorite rise and fall story to talk about. First, there was its founder, Adam Newman, a real wild child who was eventually ousted after board members had voiced concerns about the way he was running the company and the way he was spending money at the company. WeWork had planned to go public, but the IPO eventually fell through. I'm skipping so many really juicy details here. But anyway, after Newman left, Sandeep Mathrani was named WeWork's new CEO. Now he's really been tasked with turning things around. Keith, maybe we could just start. Where does WeWork stand right now? What's happening with their financials? Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty pretty bad situation, I'd say. I mean, they, they have lost so much money. Uh, I think last quarter they lost just over 600 something million dollars and then they have about 2.1 billion dollars in short-term debt so the situation isn't great and it was a tough situation for their new ceo or i guess relatively new ceo uh, sandeep but um obviously the the issues with the office market and uh and the capital markets have made it even tougher because their stock price is trading at such a low price it's very difficult for them to you know raise more money in the, the capital markets yeah, so their stock price as of Friday last week was trading at about $2.30 a share. And they finished their first day of trading on the New York Stock Exchange last October at almost $12 a share. But I wanted to talk about Sandeep Mathurani. Obviously, he was brought in after Adam Newman was ousted. And that was February 2020. But what happened at the start of the pandemic? Did they start to see losses at the very beginning? It was a really bizarre thing because it's like, well... Now you gotta sell office space when no one really wants it, and um, it was a real comeback story for him and for SoftBank. And they went on CNBC and they were like, "Well, you know, we came back. This is a success, and like things aren't that bad, and you know, we're still a great business model, and more people are gonna want co-working and ditch traditional office space." But so far, I mean, they've just had so many challenges. I mean, they, they have kind of made the right moves in that Sandeep is, is really focused on cutting expenses. Right. They're not burning through cash anymore, not like under Adam Newman. Yeah, no more private jets or like smoking weed on planes and, uh, you know, opening up uh, schools and all the crazy stuff that, that Newman was doing but you know the the problem is is that they still have so many losses and they've pushed back their goal line and when they can meet profitability multiple times and you know it doesn't appear that they're going to be profitable on a gap basis you know not on any metric non-gap metric that they would like to use anytime soon so you spoke to an analyst at center square who said quote I think they've got another year of rope left. Can you talk about that? Yeah, that was in relation to their cash burn rate. And he was saying he kind of estimated that they have about a year, over a year or a year left on their current uh, pace without raising new money or getting new money. 
I think the analyst position on their earnings is, you know, yes, they're still losing money, but things are kind of in many ways going in the right direction. Uh, occupancy, I think, is now about 70%. And they, they, they have done a good job of, of you know, trying to, to cut their losses and cut their overhead. One of the biggest issues is just that the stock market is not doing so great right now. And for all, any office company, it's really bad. For a office company that is deeply unprofitable, it's a real trifecta. It's a, it's a bad situation. So at this point, how would WeWork raise new money? How can they do that? Can they raise any more debt? Can they raise more money through the public markets? What What's the strategy here? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're probably not going to be able to raise it in the public market, you know, where they're not going to be able to, to issue more shares. But they could do one, one option that the analysts guessed would be maybe to do some sort of convertible debt where they can convert their debt to, to equity as the stock price recovers, despite all the SoftBank's failings. And they're still SoftBank. They still have a lot of money. Uh, they still have their backing. So, you know, maybe, uh, I don't know, maybe maybe they'll find a way through this either with SoftBank or, um, or with someone else. I mean, I think their problems are really obvious. You know, they're, they're just unprofitable and the office market isn't doing that great. I mean, I think that they have, if they don't figure something out, they definitely have the time to figure it out. I mean, they, they should, they know what their problems are. Now, there's no hidden um, securities that are going to blow up or something like that. It, it's, it's uh, you know, their, their problems are issues. They're all predictable and they all know what it is. So I think that they, they have some options. Yeah, I mean, in my own reporting, I've seen a ton of announcements over the last year from WeWork that have been like, we are partnering with JLL or CBRE to market our space. In L.A., for example, they're offering 50% off for members of the L.A. Chamber of Commerce. So they're definitely using any strategy they can to fill up their space. They're really trying in Chicago recently. They, they did something where they added, they're adding WeWork in, in residential buildings. So there'll be a, a WeWork, you know, at the bottom or something um, in an apartment building. And maybe that works. As a company, they just have, have real real issues. I mean, there's, uh, there's kind of no getting around it as cool as their office buildings can be as innovative as their pitches are to companies, to cities, to, to workers. It just comes down to they're, they're just deeply unprofitable. And they, they really always have been. It's going to be, I think, a real challenge for them to, to kind of figure this out. Yeah, it's also interesting that for so long they were operating in this expansion mode. They were adding locations like crazy, and now they're trying to cut back and shed some of their space. Yeah, they're kind of in a, I mentioned this in this story, they're in a screw you, like we're going to do what we want mode and take over the world. Then they were kind of like, oh shit, like we got to get this Newman situation under control and figure this out. And now they're, I think, in the more kind of like, how can we just kind of stay in our lane as a company? And make money off of this rather than being something some sort of you know world changing company you know it's just at the end of the day it's just an office company you know it's possible that they are on the right trajectory and they have the right model but it's uh it's just kind of difficult with their current financial situation and to be a public company they, they try to take advantage of this whole spac craze one of many companies to do that and uh, you know again it's it's just if you look back at their problems, they would have probably been okay if they didn't try to go public. You know, if, if Newman was able to get the money from SoftBank and remain a private company instead of going public, none of their issues would have been exposed. 
and they probably could have continued to be unprofitable for a long time and had a much longer time horizon. You know, so then they went public again. And, you know, I, I think maybe there's an argument that they went public too soon again. So Adam Newman is no longer a part of WeWork, but I was wondering if you could chat about what he's doing now. Yeah, so Adam Newman made a ton of money from WeWork, and he made a lot of money when it was public. And it seems like he's been spending most of his time on quietly buying multifamily properties across the United States um, in really popular markets with young people like Nashville and uh, stuff in Fort Lauderdale. Yeah, and then he got this money from Andreessen Horowitz. His the statement they put out was very nebulous. It had no specifics as to what he was actually going to do or how Newman's new company planned to alleviate the housing crisis. But um, from our reporting, we found out that one idea, one thing that he is looking at is this hybrid apartment hotel model where he'll be able to, to have long-term tenants and short-term tenants. He's able to get cheaper financing with this one. And then two, because he's able to get, a, get it at like the rate that an apartment would get it at as opposed to a hotel, but then he's able to, to charge more for the, the individual, you know, the short-term stays. So that's one thing he's looking at, but I've heard that it's, it's going to be kind of a, you know, he has kind of a diversified holding company where he's looking at a lot of different parts, you know, software management, some property management software. He, he has this idea of community, you know, within his buildings. Real estate is nuts. I mean, these people are insane. And, you know, everyone thought that Trump was going to be out with the stuff in Atlantic City, but he came back. You know, you have bankruptcy protections. You have different ways you can make money in real estate. Like, I just, it's a different game than kind of these other, than just building a business. Catch new episodes of Deconstruct every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts. Next week, we're talking about single-family rentals and how SFR investors are dealing with the market right now. Tune in then.